0: Welcome back to the program. Back in the 1960s and 70s, we were deeply divided as a nation. Issues such as civil rights, Vietnam, and the Cold War created deep divisions and deep tensions in the country. Yet in Washington, things got done. The passage of the Civil Rights Act, the creation of the EPA, and even public pressure to end the war in Vietnam all impacted those who governed. While the country was divided, Washington seemed to be able to take care of business. Today, Washington appears more divided and gridlocked than ever. Yet among the people, there seems to be less division. The citizens seem to be more in sync about issues of corporate power, civil liberties, environmental concerns, and unchecked militarism. So why the disconnect? If the people have things in common, why are our leaders so divided? Perhaps the fault is not in our leaders, but in ourselves and our unwillingness to engage in our own exercise of power. We're going to talk about this today with a man whose life has been devoted to the exercise of citizen power. He is Ralph Nader. He was cited by The Atlantic as one of the 100 most influential figures in American history. He continues to work in areas of consumerism, worker protection, humanitarianism, environmentalism, and democracy. He is a four-time candidate for president and the author of the new book, Unstoppable, the Emerging Left-Right Alliance to Dismantle the Corporate State. Ralph Nader, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. That was a very good introduction.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that to start this sense that, unlike other times in history, the people seem united on a whole range of issues, and yet Washington is divided, the reverse of what we've dealt with at some other points in history.
1: Well, the corporate strategy has always been to try to commandeer uh, the heights of the political leaders in our country, because if they can if they can get their hooks with campaign cash and and other ways into the democratic and Republican leaders in Congress, um, they can pretty much dominate the scene but you 're right back home there 's a real uh, emerging alliance uh, on many many issues that are being ignored in congress, uh, and so congress is is being dutifully uh, diverted into the areas where left-right disagree, like uh, gun control or reproductive rights, uh, but not focusing on the areas where there's a huge majority uh, made up of left-right public opinion back home on such things as militarism, unconstitutional wars, massive corporate subsidies, and bailouts on the backs of taxpayers, the restrictions on civil liberties and government dragnet snooping, And uh, most interestingly, the revision of the trade uh, agreements, the corporate trade agreements, NAFTA and and the World Trade Organization agreement that have shipped so many jobs and industries out of our country uh, to autocratic regimes abroad who know how to keep workers in their place at 80 cents an hour. So I wrote this book uh, in order to highlight it. I was surprised when I started researching it that there'd never been a book like this and I showed how a lot of the famous conservative philosophers from Adam Smith to Frederick Hayek uh, to Fred Myers or Russell Kirk were actually much more humane Mm -hmm. than the Republicans, for example, who cite them today as their uh, mentors and gurus. And by humane, I mean almost all of these major conservative philosophers were opposed to big business power. They didn't like corporate coercion anymore than they liked government coercion. They believed in public works investment, public services. They believed in a social safety net. Even the arch libertarian, anti-socialist planning, Frederick Hayek was for full, uh, full uh, universal health insurance. But he's been twisted by people like Congressman Paul Ryan because he came out against Medicare and Medicaid. But he came out against Medicare and Medicaid because they were discriminatory. They didn't insure everybody. So this is a book for readers, thinkers, doers, who are really serious about our country's future. This is not an entertaining book, even though it's clear and has some humor in it.
0: The irony of conservatism is that if you look at that conservative history and look at those conservative thinkers from Edmund Burke forward, in fact, the philosophy of the Republican Party today as it relates to things like corporate power and civil liberties and some of these other areas, in no way resembles true conservatism.
1: It, the heights of the Republican Party, like Speaker Boehner, Senator McConnell, these, these men are all corporatists. And so the important distinction here. When when we talk about libertarians, conservatives, Democrats, liberals, progressives, the important distinction is corporatism. Corporatism doesn't care about the two-party uh, battles; they want to control both. And so, corp, you have corporate Democrats like Hillary and Bill Clinton, and corporate Republicans uh, like uh, John Boehner and McConnell. And guess what? They both favor. All these terrible trade agreements, and they want to extend it to the Pacific Rim. They both uh, have gone along with corporate welfare. They both have gone and supported deregulation of Wall Street and the banks. Uh, they both are very comfortable with a militaristic a foreign policy. Uh, Hillary's are a hawk more than Obama, mm-hmm. according to the New York Times recently. Uh, It's quite remarkable, and the distinction you draw is very, very compelling. That is, in Washington, the corporatists rule both parties, huge fundraisers, putting their uh, executives in high government positions on the same page on many issues, including uh, the ones I mentioned. But back home, there is a a left-right support for increasing the minimum wage, for example. 70 to 80% of the people want to restore it. Uh, for inflation adjustment to what it would have been in 1968 inflation adjusted was just under $11. So that is where the change comes from. The change comes from a political realignment of left, right, back home, and it begins to manifest itself more visibly uh, through demonstrations or marches or petitions or what have you. And once these issues like full Medicare for all, everybody in, nobody out, free choice, a doctor and hospital, gets on the table of the candidates, then the press will report it, then the polls will kick in, and we're off to the races to try to recover our country and establish a functioning democracy.
0: And yet if the underlying cause of this or if certainly one of the underlying reasons is the tremendous amount of money that is flowing into politics through these campaign contributions and through these PACs, if anything, the recent Supreme Court decisions will drive that wedge even further. And, and we arguably could be moving in the wrong direction
1: that's quite true uh but the, the genius of the left right alliance concept is that it operates between elections and the incumbent legislators whether they're republican or democrat and their corporate uh, masters are terrified of a left right alliance because a they know it's a majority b they know uh that it's not likely to go away it's not flighty and C, they know that they can't escape it by dividing and ruling left against right in order to block both uh, i know when liberals want to try to get something done in, in, in the legislature uh, they get discouraged if they don't think they have a chance of winning and when conservatives not corporatists conservatives want to get something done in the legislature they get discouraged because uh, that they, they, they don't think they're going to win. But when they lock arms together, they get a huge morale boost. And, you know, getting citizens engaged starts with morale. It starts with, yeah, it is worth you uh, going to this town meeting. It is worth you uh, getting out and engaging because you got a chance of winning. Because the big excuse that people give is, well, it doesn't make any difference because the big boys are going to rule the roost anyway, so why should I waste my time? That's a, The left-right alliance turns that right around and says, you can win.
0: For a long time, we had so many people in this country voting against their own economic interests because of social issues which were set up as dividers, the kind of what's-the-matter-with-Kansas concept. Do you see that finally breaking down?
1: It breaks down when the left-right alliance moves in on these legislators between elections and i've seen it in washington you remember when uh, the, the drums were being beaten in washington to plunge our nation into another war in syria the the number of uh... emails that came in left right swarmed over congress they were coming in fifty to a hundred to one in one uh, uh... senator's office and another representative's office regardless of party and it stopped it cold See, they were waiting for an election. If you can change the nature of the political forces on the incumbents between elections, it'll spill over into elections. If you keep trying to push only at election time, that's when money blocks any progress. That's when television ads, propaganda, gerrymandering, that's that's not the place. The place is between elections. About a year or so ago... Against the power of the corporate lobbyists, it was an overwhelming vote to pass the Federal Whistleblower Protection Act to give federal employees more protection to blow the whistle on corporate fraud on the taxpayers, such as corporate fraud on Medicare, corporate fraud on the defense contracts, etc., that gets fairly good uh, uh, public attention. Uh, That was a left-right alliance. And, And it goes back to 1986 for the federal False Claims Act when Republican Senator Grassley from uh, Iowa teamed up with Democrat Congressman Howard Berman from California and got through a bill that was considered impossible uh, to, to get through against the power of the uh, corporate lobbyists. So you see, it's, it's a bit of a different tactic, uh, Jeff, mm-hmm. in the sense is uh, these incumbents, when they put their finger to the wind and they see a real rumble coming at them from left-right, they will they will change their vote. They'll change their position. And doing that again and again on issue after issue changes the kind of elections that we will have.
0: How do you see this playing out differently or even in some ways in the same way when you go down further to, to the state level and to local levels in terms of how people are reacting and how people are being energized?
1: Good question. The more realistic issues are. The less abstract, the less generalities, uh, the more people come together regardless of their labels, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. And that operates uh, back at the local level. Uh, for for example, it's well known in, in history that the few control the many with generalized abstractions, uh, ideologies. Uh, once you bring it down to where people live, work, raise their families you have a different attitude by people for example if in washington they want to oppose money for public works repair back home it doesn't matter whether you're republican democrat you want that bridge repaired you want those potholes repaired you want those drinking water systems and sewage systems up to par the other thing that's interesting is there are areas where left right alliance has gone operational. For example, in over a dozen state legislatures in the last couple of years, left right legislatures have gotten together to pass juvenile justice reform mm-hmm. to cut back on those enormous sentences for a 16 year old caught with some marijuana. And now they're moving into uh, prison reform and the mandatory minimum uh, sentencing generally. And Newt Gingrich and Grover Norquist helped start a group called Right on Crime to join with progressives who want to do something about the criminal justice system. The right wants to save taxpayer money, and the left wants human rights, for example, and rehabilitation. But they're both locked into the same momentum uh, for reform. Something real interesting is going on now with the Koch brothers, the oil and gas interests. They're getting a little worried about solar energy especially solar panels up and down california is now a bustling industry creating jobs well the Koch brothers are are trying to put a surtax on solar panel net metering uh and they're muscling their way into state legislatures especially in the south to try to get this imposed and guess what they're losing because there's no such thing as a republican or democrat solar panel they all want Good functioning solar panels on their homes. So again, some of these are going operational. And minimum wage, their cities and states—they're not waiting for the federal government uh, to to raise the minimum wage for 30 million people who are making less today than the workers made in 1968, adjusted for inflation. So the federal minimum wage is seven and a quarter. San Jose is going up over. $8.50, Eight fifty, I think, in San Francisco is ten dollars and fifty cents. Santa Fe, New Mexico, has been ten fifty for a good deal of time, and now twenty-one states have higher minimum wage, but it's got to go more. the The gap is between seven and a quarter and just under eleven dollars. So a worker in nineteen sixty-eight, adjusted for inflation, would be making less than slightly less than eleven dollars an hour, and that's where the gap is between seven and a quarter and under $11 an hour, that's where 30 million workers. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, we'll get a raise, generate an economic stimulus because they're going to spend that money on necessities for their family, and prove again that you can have a left-right coalition that gets things done in this country. And I have four, 24 areas in my book uh, of convergence between left and right, and I think we're on our way to a major political realignment, if, and this is the if, if enough left-right people stop uh, making excuses for their powerlessness, lock together, and move forward. Nixon signed all kinds of good laws, as you alluded to, because he was afraid of the rumble from the people out of the 60s. And the rumble for the people doesn't take all that much time compared to all the other pressing problems that people have to attend to in their family and at
0: work. And finally, is there a danger, though, as more and more success happens on this local level and state level, that people continue to disengage from Washington in ways that allows corporate power in Washington to go unchecked?
1: There is, there is, in the sense that they concentrate on state and local. And while you can get things done for people at that level, unless we take over Washington, unless people take over Washington... All these major things like Wall Street, the giant banks, like it comes in 90% of the people want to break up the giant too big to fail New York banks. Um, uh, war, militarism, whether we're going to con- convert to solar energy and efficiency to deal with climate change, among other advantages, replacing fossil fuels and nuclear power, all this and more, you can't do it unless you take over Washington. That's the way we're structured in terms of laws, in terms of tax receipts to Washington, in terms of the Constitution. So while a a good base can be built locally and at the state level and must be built to, to take over Washington, to put Washington under the we the people instead of we the corporation, we cannot stop at the local and state level. In the pre-revolutionary period, the farmers in Massachusetts challenging King George III started committees of correspondence. They had no chair, but they were extremely effective, even though they were very informal. And I hope that around the country, responding to this book, left-right, the local area, will start committees of correspondence to get this ball rolling.
0: Ralph Dater, the book is Unstoppable, The Emerging Left-Right Alliance to Dismantle the Corporate State, Ralph, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Oh, you're terrific. One of the best interviews yet.
0: Thank you very much for that. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.